Are you ready for the word today? All right. I have a very content-rich message for you today, so you're going to need to take notes. Um, You're going to want to refer to the app, and I'm going to also encourage you, because I don't know exactly how deep I'll go into certain topics today, if you have a young person, a child or a young adult, uh, not adult, but like a younger person in the room that you may be uncomfortable hearing certain topics, they will probably address intimacy, and I don't know how far that'll go. Um, as the Holy Spirit leads, I'll continue to press into certain things. You may want to encourage them to go to our child care or our kids' ministries, which are excellent, but I'm giving you all that information in advance so that we can say, okay, Holy Spirit, our hearts are open on the operating table. Do your work, and let's let God minister to us so that we can be the best we can be for our families. Are you with me today? Amen. Have you enjoyed this series so far on family? Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into this. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. We're going to go into Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. As we're believing God for our homes today, the title of today's message is Safe House. We want our homes to be safe, a place of safety for our children, for our spouses, for our parents, and for the elderly, if they might be in our care. We want and believe and are praying, God, make our home a safe place. Too many people go home and they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe physically. They don't feel safe emotionally. They don't feel safe mentally. And there's also those that go home and they don't feel safe spiritually because we don't create a safe space for spiritual growth and development. But we're going to change that. And I want you to also hear me say something, that God, in all the things I'm about to share with you, doesn't tell you the things you cannot do, like it's impossible for you to do. When God begins to speak to you commands and begins to speak to you tools, He's telling you what you are capable of. He's telling you what you can do with His help. Amen. So when you hear these things, they're not meant to bring condemnation. They're not meant to bring a burden saying, I can't do that. That's too big for me. I I wasn't raised that way. I don't have that in my nature. You are now a partaker of the divine nature. Somebody say amen. You have the Holy Spirit will help you. Amen. You have a helper. And so all of these things, these instructions that God gives you, please do not be overwhelmed, but also be encouraged. It says if God is speaking that, that means I have the capacity to do that. Even if I haven't practiced it up to this point, I have the capacity to become that. That's what's inside of you. Amen. And so Matthew chapter 7, are you there? Verse 24, we're talking about a safe place. Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it, Matthew 7, 24, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it, say follows it, listens, follows. So you hear it, but you got to do it. Got to be a doer of that word. It is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against the house, the house won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. There's winds. There's torrential rains. There's things that beat against the house to make it fall. But you know what? If you listen to what God says and you do it God's way, no amount of pressure from the outside can make that house fall. Amen. Amen. And if you do things God's way, you're not going to have pressure from the inside that's going to try to make that house fall. So you're safe both from the outside and you're safe on the inside. Somebody say amen. Amen. But the key is to hear what God tells us and to do what he says. And your house won't collapse. I speak that over you today, Calvary. I speak that over to you today, family. Your house won't collapse. And here's the thing. If your house has been falling in on itself, these same tools is the same material that God will use to rebuild your house and to rebuild better, to rebuild better. Anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it. So, you know, there's a group of people out there, not you, not the person next to you, who'll hear it, but they won't obey it. No one here, amen? But anyone who hears my words and doesn't obey it, 
is foolish. Why would you hear truth and not listen to it? Why would you hear the words of life and not apply it? It's like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and flood come and the wind beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You know, both the Christian home and the non-Christian home go through storms, go through trouble. The only difference is one is built and is built on God's Word and a commitment to obey God's Word. Jesus, in the parallel scripture to that, in Luke 6, 47, he actually, before that whole thing, remember it said, if you hear my word and you obey it, in Luke, the parallel scripture, chapter 6, verse 47, Jesus actually adds this line. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you won't do what I say? I want to add that layer in there because this is a big deal. This is not just like, oh, I know what the Bible says, but I want to do it my own way. Jesus has to be Lord of our lives. I said it last week. I'll say it again. What's the secret sauce to a prosperous family, a prosperous house? It's that you make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. My mentor, my pastor, Pastor Mayo, growing up, he used to say this, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There's too many people that say, oh yeah, he's my Lord, but you won't do what he says. We call him Lord, but if you don't do what he says, he's not the Lord, which is why the house, even though you call it a Christian home, keeps collapsing because we're not practicing what the Lord has told us to do. Can you hear this, church? And we have to be open to this kind of conversation because in our society, we just want to hear good things and we just want people to tell us we're amazing. And we just want people to tell us that, you know, all the strength is inside of us on our own and we're, you know, we're dynamic and we're conquerors. You will be dynamic and you will be a conqueror, but you have to also be submitted to the Lord. It's not just strength in yourself. Your strength is temporal. Your strength is earthly. Your strength is human. His is eternal. He is supreme. He is Lord. But here Jesus is saying, why do you keep calling me Lord and you won't do what I say? So that's the challenge. That's the litmus test. Is he your Lord? Will you do what he says? Will you do what he's commanded? And remember, his commandments are not burdensome. They're not irksome. He's only commanding you things that he knows you need to do so that you can be successful. He's not trying to command things to punish you and command things to make your life miserable. He's trying to give you guidance and direction so that you can be the successful life and person that he's called you to be. So let's talk about safe house. Say safe house. Basic human needs in our families, in our house, in order to feel safe, in order for it to be built with some level of security. Basic human needs, food, water, shelter, clothing, air, a place to rest. But I'll say this, too many times people stop here. Parents or dads might even be like, well, I feed you, I clothe you, I've provided a house, and I've given you all this, you know, just physical basic needs. But in order for a home to be truly safe, in order for a home to be truly what God intends it to be, then we have to take another step and not just think of ourselves as providing a roof over somebody's head. A home is a whole lot more than a roof over somebody's head. A home is a whole lot more than just, well, I provide food, I pay bills, I do this, and you're just providing the lowest level on the basic human needs. Inside of that house is a family. Inside of that house, there needs to be love, there needs to be nurture, there needs to be leadership, there needs to be the power of your presence. You need to be there, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Are you hearing me, church? You're like, well, I provide food, I provide shelter, but that's not a home. Amen. We need to move past just basic human needs, additional needs that human beings require. Safety and security needs to feel, be there in that house. That's a basic humanity beyond food, water, shelter. There needs to be a sense that those inside of that house are safe. That when they go home, it's a safe space. They're safe from the trouble outside and they're safe from trouble inside. Also basic human needs for a home, love and belonging. 
a sense of love and belonging so that when someone's in that home, they feel accepted, they feel loved, they feel commitment, they feel a sense of people that are for them, not against them. A sense that, you know what, it's a safe place even as we're finding our way through life. We're going to make mistakes and they can find guidance and discipleship and leadership and people who will speak truth in love, but we're not turning our back on one another when we make mistakes because we're all gonna make mistakes and that house has a sense of safety and love enough that I can grow even in my house. Love and belonging and purpose. It's another basic human need that we can help one another accomplish dreams and goals in our hearts and people feel like there's people on their team, amen? This would be true in a church setting because you know what, a church is a family as well. The church is the family of God. And not only do we wanna provide you a space, a room, but you need to feel safe and secure in the relationships that God has given us here in this house. You need to feel safe by the word of God that you're hearing, that it's pure and it's nutritious, amen. You need to feel a sense of the love of God from God and from one another and a sense of belonging, that we want you here. Praise God, we're not trying to run you off. And we're a safe place for you to grow here because we're gonna fail one another too. That happens, right? And when we mess up and when we fail, we're there for one another with an outstretched hand and not a pointing finger. And we need to help champion one another's calls and dreams and things that God has put in our lives as well. That I can celebrate your success and I can champion and encourage you even when you wanna quit and we're like, no, we know what God's called you to do and we provoke one another to good work. Somebody say amen. amen. So it works not just in your home, physical home, but also in this house of God. I wanna to talk to you today about the idea of safe though. I, even though we can talk about love and belonging and purpose, I'm gonna focus really in on this idea of safe. A safe house, feeling safe inside of your homes. Safety and security, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. There's outside threats. Just real quick, I'm gonna to touch on outside threats because I really wanna get onto the inside. Outside threats. Remember we talked about hearing God's word first surrendering to Jesus being Lord first. And if you hear his word and you're committed to doing what it says, the reason that's important is this. When you hide God's word in your heart, you can define and recognize outside threats. If you don't know what God has to say, if you don't know the straight line, the truth, then you're gonna be deceived by lies. Are you understanding? You're gonna let things in your house that are gonna steal, kill, and destroy because you were not aware of the truth. This is why it's so important, everyone, there's no shortcut to the spiritual discipline of knowing the Bible. You have to invest God's word into your heart so that you won't be deceived. And so that word of God on the inside of you is speaking to you because there are outside threats that'll try to get into your house. And you won't recognize what they are and you may start to embrace something that's trying to kill you trying to steal your children from the, the house of God. And because you don't have the word of God hidden in your heart, you don't understand the impact of it. You think it's just cultural trend, it's just some little thing, when it's actually a design, a scheme of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. And you're the one opening the door, letting it in the house. Are you hearing me, church? So you, it's that commitment that Jesus is Lord. And what he says goes. Amen. And then when you hear or see something that is counter scripture, then you're like, I identify that as trying to break in, break into this house and steal its safety and security away. Things like the spirit of the age. Don't get sucked away into the spirit of an age. Generations and cultures and opinions and majorities, you know the kingdom of God isn't based on the majority opinion. The audience or the crowd, the population doesn't get a vote. The king determines the truth. The king determines right from wrong. The king determines, and there's only one king. It's not a bunch of us out here that are like little kings. We're kings under a king, amen. But I want you to hear that the spirit of the age, it can creep into our house, and we can be like, well, that's just the generation. But by knowing the truth, by knowing the word of God and submitting to him, then you can expose that spirit of the age doesn't belong in this house. 
certain temptations that come, other people's sin and behavior that cause stress or pain. The Word of God can help you determine what's happening so you can say these things are threats and I don't need to allow them in. I don't need to allow them to continue and I need to say no. I need to say stop. Those are threats from outside the home. Be watchful of the enemy's devices and seeds being sown into your home. We've talked about it multiple times, but it's always good to remember that there's all these gates into your home, even into your, your heart home, but even into your real house. I'm telling you, your television is a gate into your home. These little devices called phones, which they're so far beyond a phone anymore, it's like the last thing you do with it anymore is you actually use it for a call, use it for everything else. These little things, these are gateways into your house, into your children, into your own heart. Other voices that you allow in, those are gates, and you must know the Word of God. And if the Word of God says that content is inappropriate, then stop it. Because if you want a safe home, you can't, you can't have it both ways, where you're like, I want my house safe, but I'm letting all of this stuff that is anti-God, anti-the Word of God, are you hearing me, church? Into the house. But it's your choice. It's our choice. God's not going to turn it off for us. He just shows you truth. He just, wisdom is just crying out in the streets. But I'm telling you, identify the anti-God, anti-Christ spirits, cultural things that are coming into your home and make a decision to say, we're stopping that stuff. If you want a safe house, you've got to start by closing the doors to the outside threats. And now let's start dealing with the inside threats. Are you hearing me, church? Thank you. Inside the house, let's talk about safety inside the home. I'm just going to say this as a blanket statement. No one should feel physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually unsafe inside of their home. I speak that over us. That's God's best. Listen to me. No one should feel physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually unsafe inside their home. We've, we have got to make changes. And God can help us make these changes. It's not normal. It's not okay. If you feel physically unsafe in your home, that is not okay. It's not normal. Even if you were raised in that environment, if you don't feel emotionally safe or mentally safe, that's not okay. We must make changes. We can't just tolerate and live with it. It's not going to go away on its own. Are you hearing me? Listen, I'm not judging anyone. I'm just... My heart as the pastor of this house is saying, look, if we're going to get serious about this, we're going to have families that are blessed by God, which is that's God's intention, to bless you with long life and to satisfy you with good things in that life. Amen. Not to have a long life that is full of, of pain and abuse and hurt and torment and all these things. God has defeated the devil and he's given us victory over sin and he's, he has the ability to help us partake of his nature and break us out of old natures. I'm telling you, church, this is the word of God. It's true and he backs it with power. But you can't put one foot in, one foot out. If Jesus isn't your Lord, surrender to him. But I'm just trying to awaken something to you that if your house is this way and if you're the one causing it, you're making your house unsafe and you're causing torment in the home and you need God's help and you need to surrender your life to Jesus and he can change you and that life is gonna steal, kill and destroy your life and your family's life. And this isn't about, about humiliating or, any, or, or like I said, just trying to judge. This is about freedom today, my friend. This isn't about condemnation telling you you're a bad father or you're a bad wife or you're a bad parent. It's none of that. The devil wants to make you hear that. You're bad, you're bad, you're bad. God's saying, Look at all this stuff that you've been going through. I'm here to set you free. I'm bringing you this message to bring you out of that stuff. Not to say you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, but to say stop it. You're destroying your life. You're destroying the life of the people that you actually love. Are you hearing me? And you're like, but, but then, then they're going to know that I've done this and this and I don't want to expose or stop worrying about your pride. Stop worrying about what people are going to think. Get desperate enough for your freedom that you're willing to just Run to God and say, God, I don't, I'm not worried about how what people think about me. I just need freedom. I want my family secure. I want, I want to make change. Amen. But no one should feel physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually unsafe. 
that spouses shouldn't feel that way, your kids shouldn't feel that way, that your kids may they not feel unsafe in their homes. But even some of you are watching your parents, elderly living in that home, may they not feel unsafe or unloved. Amen, church. A few inside eternal, internal threats we're going to address today. Threats that may not seem as obvious, but inside internal threats like offense, bitterness, neglect. We're going to address these things. Can we get personal on these things today? Is that okay? Neglect, sin, addiction, shame, judgment, critical spirit, abandonment, verbal abuse. We're going to get into some of these. I can't get into all of them, but we're going to dig into the ones I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to. Neglect. The Bible says, I'm just going to read through a bunch of scripture here. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Your family has needs. I said it last week, and I had some individuals say, does that really happen? Maybe a husband who doesn't provide for the family or something, and they send their wife out to go do all the work. Yes, it happens. Or even worse, as a pastor, you hear everything. Even worse, there's husbands that do have jobs, but they refuse to give any of the money to take care of the family, and they still make the wife go out and do everything. So then they sit on a big pocket of money, and they make her go out and do all the work. Are you hearing me, church? These things should not be. You do not neglect your family's needs. Amen. Amen. You don't win a prize because you have this big bank account full of money and your kids didn't get what they needed and your wife or your spouse didn't get what they needed. Or Are you hearing me? Do not neglect your family. The Bible calls you worse than an unbeliever. And you've denied your faith. God is saying, I am paying attention. This is New Testament. This is New Testament, not Old Testament. And God's saying, don't sit there, call yourself one of my sons, one of my kids, and you're neglecting your family because I don't neglect my family. God doesn't neglect the needs of his family. And you know what? Kids make their judgment of what God is like quite often of what their earthly father is like. And if you deny them their needs, if you neglect their needs, if you ignore them, then they're going to think that's the way God is. And they have to go into this world like God doesn't exist because their dad didn't. Maybe he is real, but he's not helpful. He's not present. Are you hearing me? Neglect. Do not neglect your family. Do not neglect their needs. Amen. Abandonment, neglect, bitterness. Let's talk about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. I specifically chose the New King James Version for this because it uses the word affection. Let me read it to you. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, the wife, I'm going to add the word again, the affection due her husband. Now, most translations are talking about sexual intimacy. But I like the fact that this translation uses the word affection because a lot of sexual intimacy issues get resolved when proper affection is being shared from the husband to the wife and the wife to the husband. If you just look at sex like a physical act and people who sit there and say, see, the Bible says you owe me sexual relations, that doesn't really get it going, you know what I mean? You owe me sexual relations. Oh, you're right, honey. <laughs> Listen, I love that it says, render to your wife the affection that's due her. Do you know when you made a covenant with her, when you pledged to be her spouse, her husband, there was a pledge that I will love you 
not just I'm going to have sex with you. I will love you, and I will take care of you, and I will cover you, and I will speak life into you. I will encourage you. I want to hear from you. I want to be with you. You hear me? It's not just I want to be with you when I'm ready to have sex. I want to be with you. I want to have affection. I feel affection for you, and I am tending to your affection. And then wives, the same thing in return to your husband. You know, he needs to hear your encouragement. He needs to hear your love. He needs to feel loved as well. But let's be honest, there is also, there is a bit of responsibility here too in the area of sexual fulfillment. I'll say this. I take, take a deep breath before I say some things. I will say this. You do not use sex or the withdrawing of sex as a way to get your own way or to manipulate or control your husband or your wife. Well, if you do this and this and this, then I'll give you sex. Sex is not a bartering chip. It's a response of love. It's about the affection in a home. And too many people use sex as a way, like I'm withholding. You hear what I'm saying? Because I'm trying to punish him or her. We don't punish each other with withholding our love and affection. Amen? Now again, it starts with feeling affection. I will be honest. Guys, if your wife doesn't feel safe, if you come home and you don't show affection, I couldn't imagine someone wanting to be vulnerable with you, which sex is very vulnerable, when they don't feel safe around you most of the time. And then you want them to be more vulnerable than any other thing. You hear? I know this is a very challenging conversation, but church, we're serious about getting our family sorted out. And we've got to be open to these conversations. And again, this isn't me judging. You're saying, Pastor Kevin's judging. No, I'm saying, look, enough is enough. Let's get this thing right. You'll have a beautiful marriage. You can still have a beautiful marriage and have a safe home. And your wife can feel loved and your husband can feel loved and you can experience the joy of intimacy well into your later years. Man, Abraham was having kids when he was 100 and something. Some of you are like, don't pray for me, Pastor Kevin. That's not a request that I'm, I'm not standing on that promise, you know. But there should be this idea, because sex is about intimacy, and there should be a sense of intimacy between a husband and a wife. And you know what? That also helps kids safe, feel safe. It helps the whole house feel safe. Let's move on. Bitterness, offense, abandonment, neglect. Let's keep going on that. Ephesians 5.25 from the Amplified Bible. We're just going to dig into this husband-wife thing for a minute because a lot of the trauma in a home starts with mom, dad, husband, and wife. Ephesians 5.25, Amplified Bible. Husbands, love your wives. I love the Amplified because it moves on. It says, seek the highest good for her. Surround her with caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, we can be very selfish. Give me a bigger amen than that. At least the lady. No, I'm just saying ladies. <laughs> well, come on now. And the Bible knows this. We can be very self-centered, very ego-driven, very tunnel vision about what we want. Ephesians 5 is saying, husbands, love your wives. Seek her highest good, not just live for your highest good. Come on, men. Everyone's always like, we need to preach more to the men. Well, I'm doing it now. Where'd y'all go? Where'd y'all go? You really want me to preach to the men? I'll preach to the men. Don't act like I'm out here by myself then. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know. 
Love your wives. Seek their highest good. Surround her with care, unselfish love. Why does the Bible have to say unselfish love? Because left on our own devices, we're very selfish. Just as Christ, remember, this is all about Christ. As much as God wants your home to be at peace and all this stuff, God cares a lot about your kids. God is thinking about the future generation and what you're modeling. And when you lay your life down for your bride, you give them the picture of Christ and his church. But when you withhold from her, when you don't protect her, when you don't support her, when she feels neglected by you, it's, again, it's that same model of the church. The Message Bible, I love this. The Message Bible, that same verse, says, Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Go all out. Exactly the way Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not by getting. Can you, can you measure the way you treat your spouse? Can you measure the way you've been loving when you're saying, I am focused on what I'm giving, not by what I'm receiving? I am focused on what my decision to love is, not based on the response, but based on your own choice to love. I am choosing to go all out in my love. And I love that it's saying go all out in your love for your spouse without saying anything about feeling feelings to go all out in love for your spouse. Do you notice in this verse it doesn't say when you feel attracted to her, when you feel like she's earned it, when you feel like you're in the mood, when you feel this or you feel this. None, there's no feeling involved in any of this. It's choice. It's choice. It's a decision to say, this is how I decide to love my wife. I'm going all out in love for her. Pulling out all the stops, not just to woo her, not just to win her, but to give her the best life I could possibly give her. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how a husband ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they are already one in marriage. My one of my mentors, Jeannie, who was here a few weeks ago, months ago now, she used to say this when we were being mentored in college. She would say, right actions bring right emotions. Please write that in your notes. Right actions bring right emotions. Basically, it's what we just talked about. She's saying, don't wait to feel feelings of love before you do the action of loving. In doing the right actions, the feelings will follow. Let me give you for instance, and this is just a very surfacey example. There's a lot of deeper concerns and things I know that, but this is very surfacey. There are times where I am just busy. I don't have romantic feelings going on in my head or anything. I've got work, I've got things to resolve, meeting after meeting after meeting and all this kind of stuff. And I haven't felt romantic, okay? But, if, a, if God will help me <laughs> and remind me, why don't you buy some flowers and bring Maria some flowers? Why don't you try to do something a little extra? Say extra. And I make that effort. Notice, the feelings weren't there. I didn't buy the flowers because I felt the romance. Are you hearing me? But it was a decision saying, it's been a while. I would like her to feel valued, like I was thinking about her, right? and I bring those, I buy them, and I'm getting ready to bring them home, all of a sudden, as I began to kind of prepare to bring her a little extra, to go a little above and beyond, all of a sudden then, I can't wait to get there to present her those flowers because the emotions followed the decision to begin to bless her. Are you hearing me? If you always wait to feel the feelings before you act or initiate or prepare or go above and beyond, then you're never going to go all out. Because when do we ever feel like going all out? 
We're tired, you're busy, you're stressed. We all have all the excuses in the world. But right actions, actually, I'm gonna make you say this with me. Say right actions bring right emotions. If you wait for the emotions, very often you will never get to the right actions because your emotions, I think the enemy will even make sure that you're always too tired to be thoughtful, to be loving, to be generous, to go above and beyond, especially in this culture where we're all just trying to make it sometimes, get through the week, right? But what if we decided to say, you know what, I make a decision to go above and beyond for my spouse. I make a decision to go all out in love and make them feel the affection. And what if I bought them a card? What if I started sending them texts throughout the day? Just I'm thinking about you. It doesn't take a long time. Did you feel like sending them a text every time? Did you feel all ooshy-gooshy and warm and romantic every time you've given them a text? No, sometimes it's just you haven't done it in a while and you need to make a decision to do it. Are you hearing me, church? It's not that hard, but yet it's something that we don't practice. And I'm telling you, if you begin to go above and beyond, if you begin to start thinking ahead about how to make them feel loved or make them feel affection, like you have affection for them, you are going to feel so much more of those feelings than you felt in a long time. Some people say all the time, all the fires burned out. Well, it's because you haven't put anything in the fire. Come on. Oh, there's no more flame between us. Well, then do some right actions and watch the fire burn. You reap what you sow. If you haven't sowed anything, there's nothing to reap. Man, this is really good preaching. And I feel like there's like two people in this room right now because you guys are just non-existent this morning. You're, you're so quiet. I need some energy here. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm out on that limb by myself. Come on. Thank you. 1 Peter 3, 7, talking about honor. If we don't honor one another, do you understand it limits your prayer life? It limits answered prayers? Again, this, why do I bring this up? Because we're talking to the church, and there's people who come to church all the time, but we're not treating our spouse in honor. We're not treating people right, but we're going through the function, the religious ritual of attending church, doing all that stuff. But the Bible, remember, if Jesus said, if you, if you call me Lord, then do what I say. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, 7, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wife, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be the weaker than you, but she is your equal partner. She is your equal partner. She's not your servant. She's not your mom. She's your equal partner. Thank you for my one clap. My one friend over there. Come on. In God's gift of new life, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. My friends, how we treat our spouses at home, it will hinder your access to the power of God in your family, in your life. It get, you, we have to understand these things. You can act all religious all you want. You can act like everything's okay all you want. But when you go home behind closed doors, if things are not sorted out between you and your spouse, between you and the relationships in that home, it is going to hinder your prayer life. It's going to hinder your answers. Amen. Verbal abuse. Ephesians 4.29. Do, don't use foul or abusive language. Don't do it. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything, say everything. You say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And that doesn't just mean those outside your house. I want to be an encourager. I want to be an encourager. Well, what are you saying to your kids? Are you an encouragement to them? What are you saying to your spouse? There should not be a sense of uns being unsafe in your home. What, when you get, what if you get upset? We all get upset. Everybody gets upset to think that, that you're not gonna have some opportunity for anger or discouragement or whatever. But we, my friends, we have to put a guard over our mouth and not just say whatever we wanna say in, just because you're like, well, I'm at home. 
Sometimes we speak to our spouse or to our kids in a way that we would never speak to someone at work or someone at church. Come on. You wouldn't treat anyone else like that, but then you go home and you speak down to them. You treat them like they're not even on your same level, like they're just there for you to kick around. No! No! That's not godly. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. You're capable of better. Amen. And I'm not just here saying, watch your mouth, because you want to know why it's coming out of your mouth? Because it's in your heart. Because out of the abundance of your heart, you're speaking. And so then again, God, do a work in my heart. But you have to want it. You have to want freedom from it. Say, you know what, I see it. I see the, the way I speak in my home. I see the way I've spoken to my kids when I've been upset or just the way I've used my mouth. God, do a work in my heart. Why am I so angry in my heart? Why am I so fearful in my heart? Why am I so wounded in my heart? Why is that poison in there? And God can help you. He will help you. It may be a process and you might have to ask for help from others, but get determined to get some deliverance over this thing. Your house will never feel safe on the inside if you're constantly beating it down with your words. Look at the Bible doesn't say anything that it's, remember what's in the beginning, it doesn't tell you anything that you aren't able to do. If it says don't let foul or abusive language out of your mouth, that means you have the capacity to stop. And I've even been working with our team around here because when I got here, there were certain staff members that they would use foul language here. I'm like, no, we're a church. Stop. I don't care what your position is in the church. Watch your mouth. You don't talk to people that way and you don't let foul language come out of your mouth. You deal with it. You don't sit there and say, well, I'm not a pastor. Well, who cares? You're a Christian, man. You're a believer. You look like God. You're salt, you're light. Stop giving yourself a pass because it's not your job. You're a minister of the gospel wherever you are. And you know what, God may be giving you some great platforms of influence where everyone around you uses foul, dirty language or whatever. He's not giving you that platform so you can become like them. He's giving you that platform so they can see there's hope for them to become like you. Yeah. Offense. Proverbs 18, 19. Offense in the home, offense even at church sometimes. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. You know, we can allow offense to get into our home. We can allow offense to get into our hearts. And it's like we put ourselves in a prison. And we're keeping people out. And we're thinking we're keeping ourselves safe. But truly, you're imprisoning yourself behind the bars of offense. The sin of offense. The thing about offense is that it may not actually be a sin or act against you. We can perceive an offense and it not even be a genuine wound. Did you know that? Yes. Satan gets us to believe that we are in the right and the offender is obviously wrong. Thus, we demand justice from that offender. We believe we are the ones standing on righteous ground. Therefore, we must remove that offender from our lives to protect us from their injustice. The great sin of offense can cause us to see our wickedness as righteousness because someone did not meet our expectation or our self-centeredness was offended. Notice, I'm not talking about genuine sin. I'm not talking about genuine hurt done towards you. I'm talking about how offense is so potent that we can be offended because someone just didn't do something the way we wanted them to do it. They didn't speak to me the way I wanted them to speak to me. They didn't appreciate me the way I wanted them to appreciate me. Was it an actual sin or was it they just didn't meet the standard that I set within myself? That's a spouse. You can be offended at your spouse because they didn't meet an unspoken expectation. Come on. You had assumptions that could be in church. There are perceived offenses. 
Yes, can people actually offend? Of course, they can, and that's wrong. We get that. But how many times do we live in a spirit of offense, and we're offended with so many people, and we're offended with our kids, or we're offended with our spouse, or we're offended with people at church, and really, it's something that we've created in our own mind. Are you hearing me, church? Your home is never going to be a safe place if everyone's walking on eggshells around you all the time because they don't want to offend you. They don't want to offend you. And they're living their lives in order to keep you from exploding versus actually living life. Keep you from being offended because you're so easily offended. Not from real sin, but from just people not meeting your standards or expectations. That's a powerful word there, church. And we don't even realize that we're the one in sin. We think they're the wicked ones, yet we're the ones walking in offense. See, here's the thing about deception. The most dangerous thing about deception is that it's so deceiving. You don't realize that you're deceived. Matthew chapter 7, 3 through 5, you can read it later, talks about that passage of Scripture where it says that we're judging the speck in everyone else's eye when we have a literal beam in our own eye. That verse really rocked me one day when I let myself understand that that means I can walk around with a log, a beam in my eye, and not even know it. Can we be open to the idea that maybe, that maybe, is it possible that we're the one that keeps having the problem and it's not everyone else around us? Is that possible? Is it possible maybe that we're too quick to get, offend, to get offended, to be offended? And maybe there's some work we need done in our heart versus the whole world needs to, you know, be healed from all their issues. When we're the one that has the lens on, the log in our eye. Again, if your home is ever going to feel safe, then this spirit of offense also has to be dealt with. I read a book recently. It's called Extreme Ownership. It was about these Navy SEALs. And um, there was this moment where they were going into battle, and then all of a sudden they were fighting, and there was smoke, and there was, they were shooting, and they are trying to, you know, target the enemy, and all this stuff's going on. But when all of it cleared up, they realized something. When all the smoke cleared and everything was done, they realized they were fighting themselves. In, in the... In the military, I guess it's called a blue-on-blue -blue operation. And in the discussion, it's like the worst thing you can do in a military exercise. But the idea was this. Through the chaos of the battle, they lost communication with one another, and they began to fight one another instead of the enemy. Doesn't that sound like our life sometimes? In the chaos of the battle, we stop talking to one another and we begin to fight each other rather than the real enemy that's trying to destroy our home. Your partner, your family, that's not your enemy. The enemy is, is the devil, my friends. The enemy is the spirit of the age. The enemy is not your partner. It's not your family. But too many times because we're in a battle and we get stressed and we get tired and we get turned around sometimes in the battle and we stop communicating, we stop talking to each other, come on, we begin to fight one another rather than the real enemy, thinking we're fighting the enemy. But we're not. I want to talk to you about commitment and loyalty as a covenant relationship. I want to talk to you about covenant relationship. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend is always loyal. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Our culture has created a pandemic of running away from one another instead of towards one another when love or life gets hard or when other people do it wrong. Look, if we're going to create a safe space in our homes, then there has to be covenant relationship again. I speak over you the idea of covenant relationship again. People are going to do life wrong. People are going to do love wrong. 
But we've created this run away from one another mentality rather than run towards one another when relationships get hard. Relationships get difficult. We don't all think the same. We have different backgrounds. And when you open your heart up to somebody, you can get genuinely hurt on another level than anybody else. But there has to be covenant and commitment in your home. Amen? Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Talking about humanness, frailties, we're all different. Therefore, I, a prisoner of serving the Lord, Paul's saying, beg of you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, say effort, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together, say binding yourselves, together with peace. This is talking about church. We run away from each other in church, right? Because we get offended, we get hurt, you know, whatever. And then we go from church to church to church, and we never learn the habit of running towards one another because we've created a habit of running away from one another. In the home and marriage has become a lot like that too. Rather than going to counseling and trying to work it out, rather than submitting, remember humility, it says be humble, be gentle. Rather than humbling ourselves and reaching out for help or whatever, we just run away, run away, run away. It doesn't feel good. I'm not happy. They're not pleasing me. Da, da, da. Listen, again, listen to me. I spend a lot of time saying, no one is asking anyone to stay in a physically dangerous situation or something that is actual sin. Are you understanding me? But I'm saying there's a lot of marriages and there's a lot of homes where we're running away from each other, we're closing the door on one another, we're, we're pulling away just because we get bored, just because we're tempted to something else, just because it's just part of the natural attrition of being together for 10, 20 years, whatever. I'm Listen, we've got to be a, a, a body, a church, a people, homes that learn how to run towards one another. There's, the enemy is trying to pull you away. There is a spiritual battle going on. There is things trying to draw you away. We have to put more than that much force in staying together because there's so many things trying to pull us apart as families, as parents, as Christians from one another. But we don't even talk that language. It's like, well, if it gets hard, if it gets old, if it gets boring, we'll just leave. We'll just go somewhere else. That person's offering me something exciting. That's my, I don't know what to say right there, but listen. We start fighting for one another. Start fighting for your marriage. Start fighting for your home. Start fighting for the unity of the body here at Calvary, the church. Start fighting for one another and not fighting one another. Let me just give you a quick illustration. I'm going to close. Maria, would you come up just for a second, please? Would you give my wonderful wife a welcome? <laughs> I loved how I did that, too. It was like, Wah. And you're like, yeah, this is about to get good. Something going down. Come on now. Ecclesiastes 4, 10 through 12. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. You understand we're all going to trip up at times, right? We're all going to stumble. We're all going to make a mistake. We're all going to fall. But real relationship, real friendship, which, by the way, you should be friends with your spouse, amen, not just live-in partners, is, look, when you make a mistake, my hand is here to help you up. Right? And your hand can look like your words, not just your physical hands. Your prayers, your support, your belief in that person. When, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone is in real trouble, likewise, two people lying close can keep each other warm. Keep each other warm. 
<laughs> but one, how can they be warm alone? One person standing alone, this is, what, this is what I'm trying to help us see in, in our strong homes. One person standing alone can be attacked and defeated because, you know, your real enemy is outside, right? But two can stand back to back and they can conquer. Three or even better, a triple braided cord is not as easily broken. So it's you, your spouse, and Jesus, and you're unstoppable, right? Listen. Here's what I just want us to see in this. Too many times we start, we're supposed to see the enemy on the outside. Realize the enemy is trying to come in and steal, kill, and destroy from our marriage, from our children, from our home, the peace of our home, the future of our home. Your home has a destiny. Your home has a purpose. Amen. Your family line was here, is here by God's design, not accidental. Inside of your family line are solutions to problems in this world. The devil wants your children and your grandchildren. He wants your destiny stopped. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The devil wants to stop your testimony because your testimony is defeating him. Are you understanding? And testimonies come from tests. And so we're supposed to stand back to back. She is not my enemy. She is not the one that's trying to destroy this house. The enemy is trying to get us to turn on one another in the battle because of confusion, because of we stop communicating and we start fighting each other. We start using our words against one another. We start using our influence and our energy to fight one another. But we're meant to fight the enemy this way, back to back. Are you hearing me? But it's like, it's, it's us coming together in the middle of crisis. You can there's pressures that come in your life. You can lose a job. It happens. People lose jobs. The economy changes, whatever. And that pressure, that confusion, that battle, what happens is we can come home and start fighting our spouse and almost justifying it because of the stress of losing the job rather than, honey, we're going to overcome even this loss of job. We're going to pray. God's going to provide. We're going to stay together. We're not going to judge each other. Right? But what if she's looking at me? I know this is a very back and forth illustration. What if she's looking at me going, I can't believe you lost your job. What are you going to do? You're such a failure. And she's like hacking away with her sword. Are you understanding, church? Don't sit there and speak death to that. Look, it, it, I am not the most eloquent today because there's passion in this, okay? So don't judge my eloquence. Listen. But what if she was like, we're going to pray. We're going to believe God. We're going we're gonna to keep the enemy out of our home. We're not going to let fear and anxiety be an excuse for us to turn on one another. We're not going to turn on one another. We're standing back to back, and we're going to overcome, and we're going to conquer. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Go ahead and stand. The overall purpose of a safe home, say safe home. Your brain, the way God wired us up, the lowest level of thinking in a human being or in, a, in, a, in an animal is, is about fight or flight. Have you ever heard of that before? If you don't feel safe, you never get to the higher levels of purpose, the higher levels of your calling, the higher levels of relationship, the higher levels of creativity when you're just thinking about survival and safety. That's why even your employees at work, if you think you're a good leader because you make everyone scared of you at work, you're not getting the best work out of them because the fear you think you're controlling them with is keeping them from their higher levels of thinking and creativity and problem solving. And they're just trying to stay afloat. They're just trying to keep their job. But when you create a level of security, when you create a level of love and trust, when you create a sense of peace, all of a sudden they're finding ideas and problem solving and solutions and they're becoming better versions of themselves. And your home is supposed to be that place where your family is becoming all God's called them to be. But if every time they go home, it's fight or flight. If every time they go home, they're just trying to survive. They're just trying not to get in an argument. They're just trying to keep the peace. 
then your whole family is stuck. Are you hearing me? But when there's that foundation of love and there's this confidence and peace in the home, then God's anointing and creativity is unlimited where you all can go as a family. When you have that security inside the home. Let me pray for you. God, we've unpacked so much today. And I can't get inside of their home and I cannot get inside of their heart. But Holy Spirit, you brought us here to hear this today and your word can penetrate down to the soul and spirit. And you don't just come to point out an issue. You don't just come to point out things and leave us the way we are. God, there must be an anointing in this room today. There must be the willingness of the Holy Spirit in this room today to deliver us to deliver us from things that we've been doing that have been creating concerns and insecurity and brokenness inside of our homes. I ask Holy Spirit that you be very clear to us if there is anything that we've been doing that has been causing fear, a sense of insecurity and hurt in our home, that you would bring it to our attention and that, God, you would also give us the faith to believe that you'll help us with deliverance from it. God, today we acknowledge that there's areas that we have sinned, we have disobeyed. We've not, we've called you Lord, but we've not obeyed you. We've not done it the way we should have. And so right now we repent. Can we just take a moment of repentance? This is between you and God. No one knows what's happening, just you and God. But if you know something is just, it's just been off, then just tell God. If you want to, you can even come up to the altars if you want and just start spending some time saying, God, I just, I just need some deliverance from some stuff because I'm just, I'm just doing it wrong. I need some help. Or you can make an altar at your seat. That's fine. about a perfect closing right now. This is about God's word being delivered and you being genuine authentic saying, God, help me. And I'm telling you, he's here to help. He's not here to point out stuff. He's here to help you with that stuff. God, heal our homes. Forgive us of our sins. Wash us. Cleanse us with your blood. Holy Spirit, help us to create new habits and new ways. Help us to create new, better homes. I thank you that the homes of this church are strong. They're healthy. They're genuinely good from the inside all the way out. We're not perfect. None of us are perfect. All of us are still going to need grace. All of us are still going to need to come back and say, God, I'm doing something wrong. Help me. But God, we're here now. We're just asking for a move of God in our homes. We're asking for a move of God in our families. Help us to stop fighting one another. Help us to see the enemy's designs and help us to start casting them out. Help us start resisting the devil and he will flee. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We're not defeated. We're the body of Christ. We're kids. We're children of God. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We have the help of God Almighty. Lord, I thank you that we can change. I thank you that we can improve. I thank you that we can be free. I thank you, God, our homes can be better and stronger and they can, they can prevail against any storm or any wind or rain. I thank you that these houses do not fall. These houses do not fall. Thank you for your work in us today. We commit ourselves to you and ask you to continue it. In Jesus' name, amen. You celebrate the Lord's word on that. Amen. Before you leave, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, remember, you got to make him the Lord of your life for this thing to even have a chance. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages and penalty of our sin is death. 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today I want to give you an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. You may say, Pastor Kevin, I've never asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Let's do that today. Or you may say, I used to walk with the Lord, but I have run away. I have backslidden. I have fallen off the wagon. And I want to restart with Jesus today. I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes just for the next 30 seconds. And when I count to three, if that's you and you say, I need to commit my life to Jesus for the first time, or I want to recommit my life to Jesus today, then just simply raise your hand right where you are, and we're going to pray for you right at your seat. Let's get this thing started. Ready? One, two, three. If that's you, put your hand up now. Put your hand up, and we'll pray for you right where you are today. Put your hand up. I need to get right with God for one reason or another. I need to give my heart to Jesus today. Just put it up. There's a hand right there. Thank you. All right, church, let's pray for those online. Let's pray for that one. Would you pray this prayer after me? Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you celebrate that one or anyone else maybe that prayed that prayer that didn't raise their hand? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.